0: Thank you. man. So hey, I want us to look at at the passage in in Acts 8, but it's in your handout. But before we even get to that ninth verse, I want to scroll down uh, the first eight verses of the chapter, reading through them fairly rapidly. Now they're connecting back to where we've been. In the seventh chapter of Acts, the focus is on a man named Stephen, and we've been sharing out of his life for the last three weeks. Stephen is killed. He becomes the first martyr. And as he's, as he's in the process of dying, he starts, says two things happen that were utterly remarkable. One, that he, he has this, this, this vision of Jesus that overwhelms him as he's being pummeled with stones and, and rocks, murdered. And another thing, that we're told, is that as that is happening, he forgives those who murder him. There's a man that's standing there. He's a younger man. He has intense eyes that betray him because his name is Saul. And he is a man who is going to become the most, I guess, intense persecutor of the early church. He he literally hates the way of Jesus. So when we read Acts 8, it's with that in mind, that picture in mind. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time going into all the details of the passage, but I will pause every now and then. I wanna get somewhere in the time that we have Okay, so in verse 1, we'll just read read it through. Saul, there he is, Saul approved, you can put that up. Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day, that was the execution of Stephen in Acts 7, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. You can see that it was intense, and it started in Jerusalem. At the time, the, the believers in Jesus were focused as a community in Jerusalem. The apostles were the leaders. It was a predominantly, almost exclusively Jewish church you remember that, the first followers of Jesus were all Jewish. And even if they had been Gentile in their ethnic heritage, they had converted. So there was a complete sense of Jewish followers of Jesus' community in Jerusalem. And even though Jesus had told them to go into the uttermost parts of the world and to preach this message, they were still very contained. But what happened was something that they couldn't have anticipated because it says that this great persecution arose in Jerusalem. And as a result they were scattered the apostles stayed in jerusalem but they were scattered throughout the regions of judea and samaria except the apostles who remained. now just to give everybody a geographic sense of what we're talking about i just i want to do it very quickly but we'll show you a quick little map there of what we're talking about obviously jerusalem is still where it is today if you guys can put that map up there it'd be great jerusalem is where it is today is that was the region in jesus's day in the early church that was known as judea if you were to go to the north see where it says the sea of galilee that was the region of the Galilee. That's where Nazareth was, where Jesus grew up. But in the middle was this, this region called Samaria. And it was occupied by Samaritans. There was tremendous ethnic tension between Samaritans, who were kind of a hybrid Jewish-Gentile mixed people. There was a long history to it. Suffice to say, there was, not, there, there was a lot of tension and division, as there still is in this region. <laughs> still everywhere, really. Because the heart of human beings hasn't changed that. I could go off on that for a long time. I, I better not. Stick with the plan. Stick with the plan. All right. Here we go. It says, it says devout men buried Stephen. Let's go back to the passage and made great lamentation because I wanted you to see where Samaria was. So that's where you watch what happens. Because Saul was, look at the word there. Saul was ravaging the church and he was entering house to house and he was dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. So this man, Saul, who is noted for the first time, witnessing holding the, clo- the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen to death, he's got, he's got a, like a, a spirit of violence on him. And he feels like they, this thing needs to be purified and eliminated. And so he's going after these followers of Jesus, this false way. And he's going into homes and he's tearing apart families. Later on, he's going to have to live with what he did. and He's going to talk about it. But Saul, we don't know it at the time, but Saul doesn't, and he doesn't even realize it, but he's eventually going to go from the the number one persecutor of the church. He's going to end up getting into a a confrontation with the living Jesus, as he calls it, and he's going to be transformed. And he's going to become Saul. This Saul is going to ultimately become probably the greatest representative of Jesus this world has ever seen, certainly the most impactful. But at the time, he hates Jesus, and anybody who's connected to him And so he's persecuting, he's imprisoning, he's dividing families, try to imagine that. Verse 4, now there were, those who were scattered and went about preaching the word. Philip, one of the seven deacons, went down to the city of Samaria. That was that that area I told you about, in between Judea, where Jerusalem was, and the Galilee, there's Samaria. So in the scattering, they go to different places to share the message. They bring with them the message of Jesus. Philip, goes down there and he starts talking about Jesus saying he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, he's the promised one, he died but he rose and he can change your life and know what shockingly no one was expecting it but it says the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip and when they heard him and they saw signs that he did there was some expression of power evangelism going on here because unclean spirits as the message of Christ was being proclaimed people were going through some types of in some cases convulsions there was unclean spirits uh, they, were, they were crying out with a loud voice. It came out of many people who had them. Uh, this was a, a culture entrenched in, in spiritual darkness and occultic worship and highly, highly superstitious as well. And many, and then, but on top of that, the same things that Jesus had done, there were prayers going on and people who were paralyzed and lame were actually healed. And we're told in a summary statement in verse eight that there was a tremendous amount of joy in the city. Again, like it really affected this, the city itself would have been turned upside down by the message of Christ and the display of power that was unique to this time, really, but not exclusively unique, but it was a unique characteristic of the early church that this was happening a lot. Now go to your handout and we'll follow along. Watch what happens. because We're gonna meet this amazing, watch this exchange that occurs because we're gonna meet a man who sometimes is called in, in, you know, throughout history, biblical history, he's been called Simon the sorcerer. Uh, we'll see. It says, there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic, the dark arts, in the city. And he amazed, and he, that is, he, he mesmerized and actually held them under his sway. That is, the people of Samaria. And he declared himself to be something great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. That is, the, from the... the Lower level of the society to the, to the most powerful. They all feared him. And they said, this man, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. That it, and he, he appears to have been a kind of charismatic magician charlatan with quasi-occultic overtones. And, and we're going to see that even though he dabbled in some of these things, he ends up getting very impressed by a power that he feels is much greater and stronger than his, as he's witnessing Philip do what he's doing. Look what happens next. It says in verse 12, but when they believed Philip, the people of Samaria, they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they responded. As everyone who makes a decision to follow Jesus should, they responded and were baptized. You can see that this is embedded into the first declaration of the messages of Jesus. Jesus. The idea of identifying yourself with the Lord in the waters of baptism as a way of going into the waters into His death and rising up in resurrection, publicly declaring that you take His name over your life, you identify as one of His. Even it says here, look at this: there was a baptizing men and women, and even Simon himself, even this man, this man they called the Great. This man who dabbled in the arts and was highly superstitious and very spiritual and and practiced certain things. It says that he himself believed. He he actually responded and and he was baptized and and he actually started following Philip around. And it says that he continued with Philip and he saw signs and great miracles performed and he was amazed. He didn't know what to do about it. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received, that is that opened up their hearts to the message of Jesus, received the word of God, what they did is they decided to send Peter and John. Those were the, the two of the key apostles. Peter and John were dispatched to verify what was happening because no one had really expected the Samaritans to be open to the message of Christ, nor had they expected that God wanted that even though Jesus had told them to go to Jerusalem, you know, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. But they, had, they were very localized. And the, in, the interesting thing is, and people who study church growth have, have noted that it was actually persecution that pushed them out. You know, sometimes God uses adversity to open up things that otherwise would be closed. You know, we always talk about um, how certain trees, the, the cone cannot open up. Without the fire. Sometimes what a forest fire does in some cases is the heat opens up the seeds that ultimately bring forth an entirely new, you know, expansion of the forest. Here's the thing: they didn't anticipate it, but Peter and John are sent. And by the way, Peter is gonna play a decisive role. You'll note this. And later on, and I'm really looking forward to this, but in the months ahead. I'm going to spend a lot of time, we are, Lord willing, going to spend a lot of time looking at the interaction between Peter and the Roman centurion Cornelius who will become the first Gentile convert in the history of the world. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is the one who, who proclaims the message of Jesus to his Jewish people, and they receive the, many of them receive the message. So he opens up the gospel to his own people, ethnically speaking. And then now in Samaria, we're going to find that Peter and John are sent there. And watch what happens, because God's going to use Peter to open up some, the Samaritans to the movement of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, Peter's going to ultimately go to the Gentile, Cornelius. He, and then it brings to mind what Jesus had said. Jesus said to Peter, before he ever fell, before the cross, he says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And Peter is used as the entry point for the Jewish people, for the Samaritan and for the Gentile, each one of those times, it will be Peter who presents the message of Christ and prays and watches the power of the Spirit move. Watch what happens. It says when. It says when he, Peter and John, who came down, and look at verse 15 prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they, Peter and John, laid their hands on them, prayed over them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, look at verse 18. When Simon, that the one they called the great, the sorcerer, when he saw that the Spirit, and it's most probable that what he saw was them speaking in, in tongues as they had done on the day of Pentecost, or some other physical expression that was manifesting itself, When he saw that through the laying on of hands the Spirit was given, he offered them money. And saying, Would you would you give me this power also, so that anyone that I lay my hands on also may receive the Holy Spirit? Now, basically he was saying is, Whoa, can you sell me this gift? Can you sell me this power? Can you share or share with me your secret? I'll pay it. I'll pay for it. Any price, whatever you have. I got I'll pay you for it. Try to imagine what's going on here. Watch this exchange. It's marvelous. Because this seemingly innocent gesture managed to inflame Peter in a very different way, cause another type of fire to rise up within him. For it seems that Peter instinctively sensed the, how would we call it, the insidious attempt of the enemy. He, he, He understands that there's an attempt being made to corrupt this with greed, to corrupt with greed what could not be stopped in persecution. And so look at his response. But Peter said to him, no, may your silver perish with you. I don't want, because you thought, he recognizes what's happening here. It's more than what it even seems in Peter's mind. There's an attempt to really corrupt and undermine the simplicity and the beauty of the message. He sees it, he feels it, he feels the spirit agreed on it. He says, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money, you can't buy this. No, I tell you, you have neither, look at this, you have neither, you have neither par, part nor lot in this matter. No, for your, your heart is not right with God. Look at that. Your motives are wrong. And then in front of everyone, watch what he says. I tell you, Simon the Great, repent. Therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and, and, and pray to the Lord, if possible, that this intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that, you know what I see you are in? You are a spiritually locked, you are in the gall of bitterness. You are literally in the grip of a corrupted heart, and in the bond of iniquity. That's what you are. You, and I love the way, the message, now the message translation, sometimes it just gives a take on a passage that is different than everybody else can get. Um, look what, how it phrases what happened in this. Look what it says. Peter says, watch this. Peter said, you trying to buy God's gift? You'll never be part of what God is doing by striking bargains and offering bribes. My friend change your ways. And now that's what repent is. Ask the master to forgive you for trying to use God to make money. I can see that this is an old habit with you. You reek with money lust. In other words, you're a man in bondage. You're a man in bondage. You don't get what's happening here. You are entrenched in spiritual darkness, more than you can even realize nor understand. Bound up in greed. Simon, he comes afraid. Look at this. He says, would you pray? Part of me sympathizes with him. He says, "Would would you pray for me? that nothing of what you said may come upon me. It was a desperate request of a man who's clearly locked up in superstition, who's now afraid he's about to be cursed. And then I actually, again, sympathize with him because he's kind of ignorant of his true condition. He's a bit of a mess. Now, here's the thing. At this moment, if you read the scripture, this chapter, this ends right there. Well, if you're like me, you're going, so what happened next? <laughs> but if you read, go back and read It's just the Bible, and on to to the next thing. But there's something I believe God wants to say, and I wrestled in prayer for this, for us. I want to submit a couple of things. If you're note-taking, if you're jotting something down or putting it away for the rest of the week to think about even later, be open. Listen for the Lord. Listen to your life and listen to the lord with what we're about to talk about here's something to consider number one spiritual darkness is real and there are different kinds of spiritual bondage from which the lord wants to set us free barriers he wants to break in our lives now in Simon's case, he was involved in some kind of superstition. We might call it light occult or whatever. He seemed unaware, to a certain degree, of the snare that he was in, and how blinded he was by the evil one. Additionally, he was also bound up in the power of kind of greed and and uh, you know the pursuit of it, which ironically is what attracted him initially to the apostles was their power. But this is what I need to say. It is possible to be bound up to differing degrees into different types of bondage. And I, to, be, to follow the Lord and to be, and I'm, what I'm talking about is to be hindered and held back by things. Okay, so I'm, I, I know Simon is an extreme example, but it is possible for us even, as followers of the Lord, or those who are very close to becoming that, to be entangled and hindered by things. Again, bound up does not mean in every way bound up, but to differing degrees, tangled or shackled. Uh, I'm talking about things that limit our freedom to move forward and become the the man and the woman that God wants us to be, that he died for us to be, that he rose for us to be, that he's given his spirit for us to be. There are things that tangle us up And what I'm going to do is I'm going to list a few things. See, I was just sitting. I was going, Lord, what are the things that tangle us up that can kind of bind us? When you've called us into freedom, we get bound. I'm going to put a list up. It's just some things that I was thinking about. If you feel something resonating, like the Lord says, you need to hear that. I want to do this. That's an area to pay attention to. Mark it. This is not a comprehensive list. It's just something that I've been thinking about. I want to submit it to you. But it is possible to be bound up in things. The first thing I want to put up there, first couple of things, the first thing I thought about is possibly bound up in envy and jealousy. Tied up. Hindered. We have a hard time blessing others because we ourselves feel unhappy with what we have. We might feel jealous of someone else's prosperity or their happiness. It might be just a couple of people, but we really struggle with it. we have a hard time, it grips us a little bit. We can be bound up in that. We have a hard time being content, not feeling the need to, to want what someone else may have. It's also possible to be bound up in the pain of our past. I see this a lot. Some of us carry real wounds and those wounds can define us they can start to haunt us they can stick with us they can they can hold on to us they're like glue they can be like a tattoo on us and that pain that guilt the shame it gets tucked away and from t- and it can start to it can really bind us up christ wants to get at that he has freed us from that called us to walk in newness of life it doesn't mean that certain things aren't going to have a scar. You, got, you understand what I'm saying? I can tell you this absolutely the truth. There is no open wound that the Lord wants us to have. We may have scars, but we are healed by grace. He wants to heal every area of our past by His grace. I said that for someone. Don't carry it. Give it to him. We can be, it's possible to be bound up. In sexual immorality and addiction, man, you know how hard this is right now. We live in a culture where just technology it's like the wild, wild West things getting thrown at us all the time. You understand, I hope we understand that there are people who want us addicted. they want us they want us to be because there's money to be made it's not that far away. the more look God did not does not <laughs> He wants to set us free from things and not be bound up by things. A lot of times some of us are so handicapped because we feel guilty. We're bound up, we're addicted. The Lord wants to free us, right? He wants to free us. He, and how, that happens, he can do it, his spirit at work. He can, he, in the power of community and in good accountability, we can get better from, we can heal in his name. We don't have to be bound up because a lot of times what happens is, I'm gonna say something right now that's gonna make sense to some of you, and I know not everyone will understand what I'm saying, and I don't mean to speak down to anybody, but if the evil one cannot keep you from believing and take away your salvation, then the next best thing is to neutralize you as an effective witness for Jesus. By having us so bound up and in pain or struggling that we are incapable of speaking out the Lord because we feel like we're being a hypocrite. So we say nothing. We are essentially neutralized in our ability to witness with authenticity. The Lord doesn't want that for us. He wants dimensions of freedom, freedom and increasing wholeness at work in our lives. And it's gonna require a commitment to getting better and growing. Another thing I was thinking about is possible to be bound up for, and this was the case clearly with Simon, with a lust for money and fame and power. We gotta achieve. We wanna make our mark. It's possible to be bound up in an unhealthy need for the approval of others. Like we start to live for other people's approval. We're not our true authentic selves. We 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 start to build our lives in a way that's more concerned with the approval of others than actually who we are authentically as ones loved by the Lord, pleasing God. Being who we were meant to be. We can be bound up in bitterness and unforgiveness. That's another thing. I've seen this a lot. Be very careful about what we hold on to. Blessed are the unoffended. It's very easy to get a wound and nurse it. Someone does something to hurt us. Someone says a word, maybe a pattern of behavior. It hits us. We are angry. We are upset. We do not forgive. But here's the problem. Unforgiveness, unaddressed, can turn into something even more corrosive inside of us. It becomes bitterness. And the Bible says, be careful of the root of bitterness because by which many are defiled. It doesn't ever just stay inside of us. Bitter people, it spreads out everywhere. The tentacles of it, the corruptive element of it. God wants our, he doesn't want us, that's what we, we gotta be, we gotta, Jesus said this, if you you want me to forgive you, you gotta be forgiving. And then Peter said, well how many times do we have to forgive? What do they keep doing? Jesus said, seven times 70 I tell you. Don't even count it. You can't forgive enough. What? Some of us nurture, nurturing our wound. We're nurturing an offense. And the Lord is saying, let it go. Let it go. But when I forgive, it comes back. Forgive again in the name of Jesus. We can be bound up. God doesn't want us bound up like that. No, I'm going to live light. I'm going to live in your love, Lord. I'm not going to be... I'm not, help me not to be angry. Help me not to be negative and cynical and, and just a corrupt, corrupted... No, you set me free. My mind is free. I'm free in you. Ah, oh, God, keep me free. Keep me alive. No fighting myself inside like... No, no. And here's another thing. It's possible to be bound up in... You know it. Some of us, we struggle with this. It's possible to be bound up in fear. We're afraid. So I've seen some really tough people, but what's really going on inside is they're afraid. I knew a man closely, but when he got afraid, it showed up in his anger and his violence, but at the root of it was his fear. God has not given, listen to me, listen to me. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and soundness of mind. A Couple more things. It's possible to be bound up in a spirit of poverty. What are you talking about? You know what the spirit of poverty is in the Bible? It's the fear of not having enough. People say, oh, that's the exclusive exclusive domain of the poor. No, no, the spirit of poverty? That could be everywhere. Jesus says some of the people who have the most in life are the most bound up in the fear of not having enough. And it blocks their ability to be generous. It's the fear of not having enough. Some of us are bound up. Some of us, another thing we can be on up is in a lack of self-esteem. You know what that is? In my mind, it's the fear of not being enough. <laughs> One is the fear of not having enough. The other is I, I, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm, 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 I don't look like this, or I, I don't, you know, what? I'm, no, I'm not the. Look. Who are we? Where's our identity? You are a beloved son in Jesus. You are a beloved daughter in Jesus. We live in the era of, of just confused identity everywhere, everywhere. People are identifying with political parties and sexuality. Look, identify in Jesus. The foundation, a beloved son, a beloved daughter, start there. Out of it will flow life and health, blessing. It's possible to be bound up in spiritual pride. We'll leave that. Look, okay, and by the way, you see the contrast? <laughs> the fear of not being enough. The Bible says neither think more highly of yourself or a little too little of yourself. It's not about propping ourselves up being greater than we are, but it's also not forgetting that we will always need Jesus in our lives. So neither think, I am to neither think more highly of, who, no, forget arrogance and pride, spirit. Forget that stuff. I'm not going to judge. I'm No, I'm a, I'm, I'm a broken man. I'm a wounded. If I'm a healer in Jesus' name, which I believe we all are, then we are wounded healers at our best in need of grace always ourselves. We walk with humility in the power of Christ no better than any man, no better than any woman, but someone who's found the touch of the living Jesus and we wanna share that. We wanna keep letting that flow into our lives and because of that, our identity is in Him That means I don't have to be bound up in being less than in my mind. It's neither being less than we are or more than we are. I don't walk around um, trying to compare myself or somehow be better or less than what I'm supposed to. I'm just who I am in Jesus, a growing version, becoming more and more authentic, who he made me to be, trying to walk like him, live like him, let his spirit work in my life, show up in my life, grow my life, become more like I was meant to be in Christ. That's what we're talking about. Forget the... The stuff that always is coming at us. I can say this without equivocation. And this is, this is what Jesus said in John 8. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. We were born to live free. Bound by nothing but the love of Christ. Romans 8 says this. So now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who belong to Christ Jesus because you belong to Him. Look at that. Look at that. The power of the life-giving Spirit. The power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin and death. Nothing needs to bind us nor define us. There is no area, none of those things that was mentioned that, can, that has to define our life every area can be conquered by the life-giving power of the living spirit of Jesus. If we want it, freedom is ours. It It may be up and down along the way. It's going to take vulnerability and humility, but it can happen. The power of the Lord at work in our lives can set us free. Things of the past, set us free. Things of the present, set us free. Things that would grip us and define us for where we're going in ways that we don't want, set us free And nowhere. Look, last thing, and I'll put it up here. Following Jesus will always be really a matter of the heart. It's more important than religious formality. Remember what happened, don't forget this. Simon got baptized, but he was a mess. You know what God wants? Okay, listen to me. Religious formality is not enough. And in fact, it can actually make it worse. You say, what are you talking about? Because it can inoculate us from the real thing. When, this is why it's so important to live as much as possible in alignment between what we say we believe and how we live. This is why it is so important when we do what we are doing right now, whether it's at Reardon Online or right here, when we come to the Lord's house, we are making a statement. But it is important that that shows up when we live the rest of our week. Like, it can't be disconnected from it. It, The more disconnected it is from it, the, the worse it is for us. It's like, be, like I'm, I'm, I'm a disconnect, my heart is disconnected. I say this, I sing this, I do the religious thing, but then I go out and I live, I don't talk about him. Uh, I might even start talking like everybody else talks. I don't, he I don't, I don't, doesn't show up. No one would even know. At that point, you've got to ask yourself, okay, who am I at that point? Who am I? This man or the other? This woman or the other? Who are we? an alignment of our heart that shows up outside honestly, authentically with humility, but it's showing up. That's what I'm talking about. God, may the Lord break any barrier in our life, of our past, of our present, and in our future. Now, practically speaking, how do we respond to this? One, when we finish the the service out, we're going to have our time to honor the Lord and our giving, yes. But I'm not diminishing that. But we're also going to have a time to respond to, to a song. Now, the song that is being offered is not being offered just to, for entertainment. It's being offered as a word that we're to sit with, a prayer that we're to, we're to honestly embrace. It's, it's designed to, to get us to, to really honor what we've just shared, like a benediction, a word for us. Now, some of us, we walked through that list, and you know what? The Lord spoke to us. He felt it. It hit us. Got to respond to that. Some of us may even want to come back tonight, the mission campus here, and take that and respond to it. What it is the Lord is asking us to pray for dimensions of freedom in our life. We may, we may, this may be what we're supposed to do Tonight to come back and to engage him in worship and share in the communion the power of the life, the broken flesh and blood of Christ, the power of his victory, and begin to claim it in worship into our own lives, welcoming the Holy Spirit's power at a particular area where we have felt devastated or bound up in. For others, again, just, you know, we have these things that we call, our small groups are called shape groups. This Saturday night, we have a shape, a shape group event where everyone can come together and you can connect into a group. You can get a chance to check out the different group op- options and opportunities. It's a way to engage community because in community is how we gain strength. We're able to pray for one another that we may be healed. We begin to train better. You know what? We, gave? we talked about it. In the shape groups, we can get in shape spiritually. And then for some of us, take advantage of the rise and shine the video, the vlog, we send it to you at 6 a.m. If you, if, you, if you let us apply for the notification, you'll get it. It's 90 seconds plus. I'm gonna build directly off of this message for the entire week with just a couple of little power thoughts for us to keep the momentum going. In other words, I didn't wanna just share a message with you and, and not say, here's how you can respond to that. In the moment we're about to share, this evening, in small group community life, train with others, and then the dailiness of just connecting with our daily devotional. You know what I'm saying? My heart is for all of us to grow in the Lord. We live in a very, very difficult time where so much foolishness is being said about Jesus, and so many people are, like Simon, utterly confused. I mean confused, and there's tons of anger out there. And a lot of fear. The answer is moving towards Jesus. Getting our heart right. Taking it seriously. This is what we're about. This is the barrier we want to break. Let's pray together, okay? So Lord, I, just, I pray for your grace and I pray for the power of your spirit to be at work in our lives. Living Jesus. Come among us, Lord, and speak to us. Don't let us walk away and and forget what it is you're trying to do. Whatever season of our life we're in, I know you have something you want to grow in us. and some root you want to pull out of there. You didn't want us to carry that burden. That's not your assignment for us. And in fact, we know in our heart that it's not even your will for us, but we want to get better. It's just we don't have the power. We ask for the power of the living Jesus. We ask for you, Holy Spirit, to convict and then to give us a way out by the power of Jesus. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen and amen.